Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Overrun. I'm Dan Schwester, and I have a couple of very special guests today. Um, first off, I have Matt Strieger from uh, Strieger & Keevney, uh, probably one of the more preeminent EMS law firms uh, out there. And uh, he's going to... Um, He's been a friend of the show for a while. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm well, Dan, and I appreciate you inviting me on to be on for the first time ever. This is kind of fun for me. All the times we've talked about me getting to join on the show, um, you finally got me on, and it's not for a legal topic, which is even better. So, But it's something that's very near and dear to my heart, and I really appreciate you inviting me on the show for this. No, I, I, I'm glad you're on, and I'm really glad to be introducing our uh, our guest, uh, who is really going to be the, the driving influence on this, um, is... Um, someone who has really just gone through a huge journey um, and is going to share that with us. Um, you know, there's not a lot that we know about transgender people as clinicians. We don't get a lot of training in it. Um, and it's something that um, is, is a part of our lives. It's a part of our world. There are people that you may not even know that are trans or have gone through a transition. Um, Taylor is one of those people that have done that. Um, and he has, as a clinician, has brought this to his shop and has really improved the educational level of everybody around him and uh, has decided to, you know, to come out and share this with us. So we're really happy to have Taylor on the show with us. Um, Taylor, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, where where this all started and tell us your journey. Yeah, so my name is uh, Taylor Sprecher. Um, my story begins on July 16th, 1981. Um, I was born a healthy baby girl. Um, I was named after my aunt, uh, Jeannie. So my name given to me at birth was uh, Jeannie Sprecher. I was named after my aunt who was murdered by her um, husband in a drunk driving accident. And so when my mom got pregnant with me to honor her sister, she gave me her name. And because I knew what that name meant to my mom, I shortened it and left it as my middle name. So Taylor Jean Sprecher. Um, I knew at five years old that I wanted to be a boy, but I just really didn't have the language that we have now for that. Um, so then back in 2004, I also wanted to transition, but like it wasn't the right time for me. And then I finally took the steps to transition in 2012. And that's when I began to like legally change my name. I went to therapy. So for me, I had to go to therapy for six months before they'd give me a letter to start testosterone. Okay. And then for, I had my top surgery on June 2nd, 2016. And that's really what began my quest to create a training for emergency responders, just because there wasn't, there's nothing out there that was geared towards EMS when it comes to working with a transgender patient. And so like initially it was just gonna be, um, these are female to male, somebody's female to male, it means they're born female, but now identify as a male, they've taken the steps to transition, um, male to female, assigned male at birth, now living as a female, non-binary, just they don't identify with a gender, you know? And so, but by creating that and being open and talking with my coworkers is that like, they've had other questions that they've been able to ask me. So. Okay. So, get, so let's go. So let, let me, let me stop you right there because there's some interesting things here. And I think there's some vocabulary that maybe, uh, the people we're listening to, I know some of the stuff is new for me hearing the first time. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the first thing I took from this is this is not a snap decision. This is not mm. something that people think, you know, this is a, a, a choice, so to speak, or this is something that has gone on for a very long time. You said, you said you were five years old when you realized mm -hmm. this. Uh, so yeah. pretty much everything else after that was leading up to this, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And it, and it is a, it's a process of months to years for you to, to finally, to go through the entire transition. So wh what did that entail? What did some of the therapy entail? Like when you talk about that stuff, like what, what, what were, what did they do? What, what were they trying to ascertain with that? So they just want to make sure that like, you know what you're doing and like, so you have to go through all of your own, like history and like how deep are you able to like really go for yourself to identify any type of problems because they want to make sure that like 
you're you're mentally aware of the risks associated with transitioning like when you take testosterone on that like you're not going to be able to reproduce and so you would have to um freeze your eggs if you wanted to have biological children later on okay okay so yeah and then with so top surgery we only had to have one letter and so like when i got my initial letter for testosterone and then they also wrote it for top surgery and then for bottom surgery which would include like any like hysterectomy uh, orchiotomy or orchiectomy for um trans women that you'd have to have two letters from two different therapists saying that like yes you understand what you're doing and that yes to go through with it yeah dan i was just going to jump in here for a second i think maybe it would make a little sense for us to just kind of run through some of this terminology i just want to you know note for everyone who's listening that i got into this as someone who doesn't have personal experience in transition obviously maybe not obviously um, I, um, you know, I'm a, a lawyer from New Jersey. I'm a still a practicing EMS provider. And I was running through around learning about these words and hearing these terms. And I figure if I'm a pretty smart guy who has been around in EMS for 30 something years, and I've never heard these terms before. And I, that's actually how our firm created our program and how I got involved in this from my end is I didn't understand these words. I didn't understand what they meant. And I've heard some words that I thought might've been considered to be offensive at times that are now being used in common parlance. So I said, what does this stuff mean? What is this about? And, and I figure if I'm uncomfortable with the terms and had to learn them, other people is. And that's how I use my bully pulpit as a, I'm very lucky. I get to lecture and I get to you know, write and I get to get out in the world. So I created the program that the firm does for that reason. But I think maybe the, just for a baseline here, let's just run through some of the terms that oh, people absolutely. Hear let's they don't do understand. That. Top surgery, bottom surgery, or surgery, orchidectomy. Um, <laughs> let's just run through them real quick with people because I think there's a whole bunch of words that if we become familiar with them and we understand what they mean, these are terms that I don't use every day. And the right. words matter. And it's really important right. that the words we use and the meaning behind those words are important. So I don't want to mess yeah. this up. And I think occasionally we do. Um, and I just want to let everybody know that if you're you're out there and you're you're dealing with a an issue related to somebody who's transgender and you mess up accidentally, it's not a big deal. People are mm-hmm. going to do that because you're not familiar with the terms and you're not familiar with the words and there's no disrespect associated with that. So apologize, yeah. learn, do better. As the as the overrun goes, and you guys aren't can't see my uh, my screen here because we're doing this on a podcast, not a video podcast. But sitting behind me is my overrun uh, mug. And in my overrun mug, it says do better. And that's honestly all I want people to do from this. I agree a thousand percent. And this is this is why we're here. Um, I, I can guarantee you that I have probably made some of these mistakes as well. Um, I'm coming from a place like I don't want to make these mistakes. I want to learn this. So yeah. um, if you're listening to this, this is what we're looking for. So Taylor, take us through some of the terms that you used and what they mean and what the implication is for us as clinicians. Yeah, yeah. So when um, when you hear the queer community talk about uh, cisgender people, I mean somebody who was happy that they're assigned male or female at birth and they're happy with the designation that they were assigned at birth. When we talk about gender expression, that's just how you communicate the way you dress to the public. Gender identity, that's how you. Um, it's how you identify. Are you cisgender? Are you transgender? Female to male? Male to female? Are okay. you non-binary? Um, gender so what, so, so, what is, so what is non-binary? So non-binary just means that they don't identify as male or female. Okay. And that their uh, gender expression is fluid. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then there's also intersex, and that's somebody who has both male and female parts. So, so with people who say that, like, no, there's only male or female, like, no, there's intersex people who have they can have a penis and still have a uterus. Okay. And they can have uh, a vagina and still have testes. You know, so it's just not it's not as black and white as just as male or female. Um, and intersex is the old term is like a hermaphrodite. Okay. Yeah. Um, gender expansiveness expansiveness is just uh, the gender identity and expression that's associated with like the binary. When we talk about binary, we talk about like what's male, what's female. Okay. Yeah. Let let me just jump in here for a second, because I think there's even more fundamental than that. One of the things I do when I teach my classes, we use terms sex and gender usually interchangeably in our world, because for most of our experiences in life, the term sex and the term gender mean the same darn thing, because most people you meet, their sex and their gender match. 
Sex yeah. is physiologic. Sex is the things right. that your body has, the organs have. So you're born with a certain sex or an intersex. Gender, which is, uh, the, and it has, as you said, gender identity and gender expression. One is inside, one is outside. But gender is a societal thing that says, mm-hmm. I have long hair. I am a girl. You know, I have an 11 year old son who's downstairs while we're talking right now who has longer hair than most women I know. And he's a drummer and he loves his rock star hair. So gender is more of a societal thing and sex is more of a physiologic thing. And what we're trying to do here is talk about matching up or the mismatch between the biology and the feelings that the person has inside, which is the gender identity. And the one thing I really want to stress to everybody listening is that these things have absolutely nothing to do with sexuality and somebody's sexual Mm -hmm. orientation. This is the, how I go to bed is my sex and my gender. Who I go to bed with is my sexual orientation. They have a completely, and if you start to stratify that and, and you know, lay out the, the possible, possible combinations of sex and gender and then sexual orientation, there's a lot of permutations there. But the important thing is that for us on this podcast that we're talking about today, today doesn't have to do with sexual orientation or sex as a, an act of, between people. It's the sex mm-hmm. of physiologic characteristics. And I think that we get a mismatch there in a lot of the times we talk about this. So I just want to kind of throw that out as a baseline for the listeners. Now that's yeah. a, that's a great point. Um, you know, this, this isn't about sexuality. This is about mm. people yeah. and this is about how they represent themselves and what they feel to be in the, in the world. It has nothing to do with who they sleep with. Yeah. And like when you first meet a transgender patient or you have one, you know, just be like, Hey, my name is Taylor. I use he, him pronouns. What is, what's your preferred name or what name do you go by? What pronouns do you use? You know, when you're coming at a queer patient, Asking them with what what their pronouns are is such a different interaction versus not being open with that type of stuff. Taylor, from from my perspective, take it for me if I'm a frontline provider, I'm a medic, I'm an EMT, I go out on a job, there's a person who's there and they're sick, doesn't matter what's wrong with them in the world. Mm-hmm. Most people don't have somebody go up to you and say, hi, my name is Matt. Um, I am uh, the, your patient today and I'm transgender. That's just not words that come out of people's mouths. So they won't. tell me as Taylor, and right, they're not going to say those words. So how do you <laughs> ping on certain things that are going to give you clues to say to the patient, hey, by the way, what are your preferred pronouns and what's the organ inventory and the stuff we may get to a little bit deeper into the podcast, but what's your clues to somebody as a provider? Or run just the straight up, straight the frontline providers to how they're going to see that. Yeah, no, for me, it's just, I just go with a, a gut feeling, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, it depends on like when we have our PCR and we have, we're writing stuff down, we ask like, is this your, what's, what's your legal name? And then is that the name that you go by, you know? And then if they say like, no, I go by, I don't know. So for me, if I hadn't changed my name, I would have to say my birth name was Jeannie, but I don't, go by that I go by Taylor you know so it's just like we need to make sure and if, when we're asking these questions it's not because we're trying to be dicks or anything it's just we want to know so in that way they get the proper care and at the hospital they need to know like yes we're still going to respect your pronouns we're still going to respect the name that you use but for any legal documents we have to have the legal name and so and like if the medications I'll ask what medications are they on? And if it's ones that I know are associated with transitioning, and then I'll be like, oh, are you transgender? And then they'll say yes or no. Now, and following up with that question, I'll be like, I'm transgender too, you know? So like, I've been, I'm on testosterone. I've been on it for however long, you know, so. Because I think it's really important to try to to look for those intangibles. Um, I had one patient who uh, kind of pinged for me who was wearing kind of a knit cap and had a a teal and pink striped pin on the cap. And for that, I was able to, that was the first indicator that I had that the person had a trans uh, pin on their hat. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I should maybe ask a few more questions here. And it's obviously, if you look deeper into somebody, you're doing a 12 lead and you see that they had top surgery and you can see that there were scars there. You're going to, you're going to catch that one pretty quickly. The meds are a good indicator. Um, Are there any other physical indicators that you can say that would be something that would raise the, the index of suspicion for you to say to somebody, Hey, what are your pronouns? Or what was your gender assigned at birth or sex assigned at birth? Yeah. I mean, just ask like if it's like, if we're, if they have abdominal pain, and if they have chest pain, you know, then we definitely, we need to know the sign gender at birth. 
sure for evaluation purposes but like just if you just just ask them are you transgender that's the only way to there's not going to be any even like with the scars because it could be a woman who's had breast cancer and has scars on her chest so just scars alone won't be a good enough indicator of whether or not if they were are transgender or not so very good point very good point okay okay so just to just to catch up with this so when when you're approaching a patient if if your if your gestalt tells you that you might be dealing with somebody who's trans um it's okay to ask the question. And mm-hmm. if so, it's always a good way to say, Hey, what pronouns do you use? Or what are your preferred pronouns? Yeah. Um, and that allows you to establish rapport with your patient during your assessment um, yeah. because it puts them at ease. Um, so when, when you're talking about top surgery, I'm, I'm guessing that that means the removal of breast tissue. Correct. Yeah. So there's different, um, different types of top surgery that trans men can have. Okay. Um, and really it's all based on the size of the breast that they had going into the surgery. So for me, when I was 15, I had one breast that grew and one that didn't. And so okay. at 15, I got an implant. And then for me, my gender dysphoria, which is um, every transgender patient is diagnosed with gender dysphoria, but what that looks like to them is um, different for, for everybody. So for okay. me, it was my uh, chest and I, there so on the right, I had um, an inverted T anchor, which is where they had to come up and then cut. And then on this side, it was just a double incision. Okay. So, yeah, but... Ch- Taylor, what's, what's gender dysphoria? Because it's a term I hear used a lot, and I'm sure I, and I know I understand that because we, you know, I live in this world now, but I don't think most people have heard that term and understand what it means. So give us that definition real quick. Yeah, it's to where like your... your um, your body doesn't match how you see yourself in your mind is what gender dysphoria is. Pretty simple. Yeah. So, um, so let's say I have a patient and, you know, it looks like they've had some scars on their chest. Uh, I'm going over their med list and I'm finding testosterone or if it's um, somebody who's uh, transitioning from a woman um they would probably, or a man to a woman, they might have estrogen or progesterone, some type of hormones too. And the reason why they're doing that is to stimulate secondary characteristics so that sex you, characteristics, right? Yeah. So that, so that your body matches what your mind is telling you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even with those medications too, those will even cause risk too. So with trans men, they will be the most common medications that trans men are on are uh, testosterone, which gives you the facial hair, it deepens your voice. Um, if a trans man is still um, having their menstrual cycle, then they could be on luprolide acetate, which is just the follicle stimulating hormone. Okay. And it, it lowers the estrogen and it will stop them from their period. But, um, and then tr- those are the pu- two puberty blockers that uh, kids could be on, which is uh, luprolide acetate and histerlin. The most common so basically it's either histerlin is a implant in the arm they look like small pebbles and then uh, luprolide is a shot okay yeah and then for trans women they can be on estrogen which that medication can mask migraines so if you see that they're on estrogen then you want to keep in mind if they have a headache it could be a lot worse than what they're saying hmm. uh finasteride which also um helps the estrogen okay um they can have orthostatic hypotension with that okay and then spironolactone just the dose alone which also helps the estrogen work more um it can cause uh hyperkalemia sure because it's a it's a diuretic and can throw off your uh your potassium level so um might see ecg changes on patients or something like that so okay Mm -hmm. um so what are some mistakes that we can make? What are some common errors um, that we need to avoid? Common errors, like I think one of the is like misgendering them or like if they get the pronoun wrong, then like they make a big deal. Like, oh, fuck, man. Like, no, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't mean that. Like, just correct yourself and move on. Like, don't make a big deal about it. It's okay that it happens, you know, but just don't keep on repeating if you do then like just correct yourself 
and move on. Just don't make a big deal. Yeah, I, I could see myself doing that because I'm, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm focusing on three other things, and I'll be like, oh, yeah. just, yeah. just accept it and move on, and and try to call people the way they address people they want to be addressed. Right, Matt, you, yeah. you make a, yeah. you make a good point on this in your class. So you want to go with this? Yeah, and I think the point of this is that it's, it's when you have a patient, I think it's easier. Because when you have a patient, you're meeting them for the first time. And when they say to you, hi, my name is Taylor, you go, oh, hi, Taylor. Um, you're a man because you, you mm. appear to be male. And then somebody you say, oh, I'm, I, I transitioned. You're meeting somebody for the first time. So it's, I think, it's not a hard adjustment to, to misgender yeah. somebody when you've met them for the first time because you don't have this ingrained thing. The people that I know who, um, who transitioned during my knowledge of them and more like the employer employee or, or friend relationships. Um, when you meet somebody like that, you, you think it's a little harder because you kind of get in this groove of knowing somebody in a certain way. And that's, I think where we have a much harder time adjusting our brains because we're creatures of habit and even without malice to, yeah. um, to misgender somebody. And I think it's a, a real good question of intent there. And I learned the terms when I was teaching my class about dead naming somebody, which is intentionally using their pre-transition name in a disrespectful way. Now, Taylor, you were very open about using your pre-transition name and oh, I respect yeah. the heck out of that. But yeah, a lot some of people, people that's a sign of disrespect. And I didn't yeah. realize that. And I never heard the name before. It obviously makes sense. I'm indoxing somebody which is to out their gender uh, or their their transition status when they have not done that. And that could actually be dangerous. You can actually put people in harm's way by doxing them and outing them, if oh, you yeah. will. Um, I, I, what's interesting to me is that I don't think we, with the people we've met in our, our experiences of life who are gay or lesbian, who are not out, and you know that they're not out, it's the same thing. And if you analogize that, when you're like, if you're gay, but not openly gay, and you know that as a friend of that person, and you release that into the wild, you can cause harm to people, the harm to their relationships, harm to their friends, harm to their employment. Oh, yeah. um, and I think it's much less now than it was. But I think if you use that analogy to what we've gone through with people who came out as being gay, um, that we, we experience the same thing, and, and you have the same risks there. Um, so I, I, I think it's an interesting analogy. And I just want to go one other place too, just to rewind for a few seconds, we talked about it. it. It's really interesting to me that paramedics and EMTs often feel very uncomfortable asking these questions, which is funny to me, um, especially when we do an organ inventory, when we say to somebody, hey, so you're in the transition process, which things were you born with that have been removed and which ones are still there because they can break. If you're transitioning from female to male, the presence of a uterus or lack of presence of a uterus can make a big deal because uteruses can break. They have things get wrong with them and we need to know that. And there's no disrespect in that. And we freak yeah. out about asking that question. But, but right. last week, I had a 15-year-old female in my ambulance who I had to ask if she was sexually active to determine her pregnancy status. And we do that every day and nobody blinks at that. So I think that there's kind of a false um, uncomfortableness that comes with this just from lack of experience that with a little mm -hmm. bit of analogizing, we can get past and go, oh yeah, that is kind of the same stuff we've been doing for the last however many years we've all been in EMS. Yeah, yeah. And like with the whole about like not outing them is like when we have teenagers a lot of them, you're going to see an increase of suicides because there might be in a family where they're not accepted or whatever, and they'll have gender dysphoria, you know? So like, if they are, if they did attempt suicide, you know, we need to ask them, are they out to their parents if they are transgender, you know? And if they're not out, then give report away from the family. So in that way, we're not outing them to their mom or dad because we don't know what their family dynamics are. So, yeah, Taylor, I'll tell you what, when I teach my class, I pulled them uh, the, the stats out of the U.S. transgender survey, and it's a good five, six years old now. But the numbers were so yeah. striking to me. 25% um, mm -hmm. of transgender persons have insurance problems. 23% didn't see a doctor when they needed to because they were fearful of being mistreated. I'm pulling these off my screen, so I'm going to read them for the, the people yeah. on, the, on the group here. Um, 39% had serious psychological distress in the month before they did that survey. 40% of the, of the respondents had committed attempted suicide in their lifetime. That's nine times higher than baseline. 7% had attempted suicide in the last year, 12 times higher than baseline. Those are ridiculously high numbers. And, and the thing that really stands out to me, and they do no harm, Dan, is that a quarter of people that are transgender didn't get healthcare when they needed it for fear of the way the healthcare system and the people in the healthcare system were going to treat them. And that's just wrong. We can do so, can so much better than that. Go ahead. Yeah, no. So I can talk about um, right after I had my hysterectomy um, about, 
so when you take testosterone, it dries out your vaginal wall. And so it makes perforation a lot easier if you like penetration. And so it was four months after my hysterectomy. Um, me and my partner, we had rougher than normal sex in the morning. And then like I went throughout my day and I was fine. But like my, my pain in my abdomen was starting to like slowly get worse. And then I was at night when I was sleeping, I could barely move on my side or sleep on my stomach. When my partner went to go get up in the morning, they barely touched my stomach and it was a 10 out of 10 pain. I was like, okay, this is not normal. I need to go to my gynecologist. So I call them and then they're like, you need to come in. So I took the day off of work. I go into the gynecologist. Mine was on, um, took the day off. So I had to see another one, you know, but like she was completely respectful. It was like, what do you call your parts down there? You know, and she was doing an exam and she was just like, they thought that I could have torn my vaginal cuff because it was still healing. And she felt that she was like, no, it feels normal. And so I had to drive myself to the ER, but then I had to explain to them like, yeah, at this ER to some of them, I was out as trans, but other people, I wasn't out as trans, you know? So I had to explain to the doctor, like me and my partner, we had rougher than normal sex. This is what happened. They ordered. So she ended up ordering a CT and it turns out that like I had inflammation of my jejunum and my sigmoid colon. And then uh, I had fluid inside my abdomen and they were gonna go in and do uh, exploratory surgery to see what was going on. They called the on-call gynecologist to come in, but like they never did end up doing surgery at all. I got admitted and then had got put on antibiotics. And then I went to a gastroenterologist doctor and they found a hole in my sigmoid colon, what they call it fistula. Yeah. And I, I, my take home for that is number one, to do that organ inventory and ask those yeah. very detailed questions about what is still there and what is still not there with no disrespect, but you need yeah. to know that because the stuff that's still there could be broken, even though it doesn't mm -hmm. associate with your gender identity. Um, yeah. So in your, in your transition status, it still might be in that process and that you really have to go to people to know what the heck they're doing with this. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm just listening to this case and I'm going, wow, okay, there's a trans man and he's got a potentially surgical abdomen here. This is, this is a surgical yeah. emergency. This needs to be evaluated. Um, if you're not aware of this or you're not listening or picking up on things, you could miss this and mm -hmm. you could be, you know, your patient could be sitting on a, on a stretcher for six, eight hours and nobody know anything. So yeah. Getting this information Dan, is critically important. Yeah, Dan, to your point, and Taylor, you said earlier that if you have a patient who has transitioned and they're in that process, that take them where they're being treated, much like an LVAD patient, they really need to go back home for that or a transplant or something. They got to go back where they're being treated. Um, and if yeah. you don't have that, I would recommend to the listeners that you just go to an academic medical center. If you're somebody, you know, Taylor, if you're out here in New Jersey and something went sideways and, and you know, you're from Oregon, you're not going back to Oregon by oh, any no, no, right. Um but I would, I would suggest to the listeners that a tertiary care, quaternary care academic medical center would be the place to go because if they don't have a transition center there, um, at least they'll have the resources to provide a surgical consult and probably have the resources to reach out to somebody when a community hospital may not if you're, if you're faced with something like that and you're, you're, you're in that, oh, uh, I don't know what to do here mode. Uh, I think, you know, going to the bigger center is probably the right way to go under those circumstances. Dan, what do you think of that? No, I, I think that's reasonable. Um, I, you know, obviously keeping keeping in mind your patient status, hemodynamically, uh, what you're dealing with and what you're capable of handling. Oh, totally. Um, absolutely. But you have to, um, you know, you got to do, remember, part of our job is getting our patients to the right people so that they can get fixed. And, you know, for somebody like Taylor, who's from Oregon, no, we can't get him back to Oregon, yeah, no. but, but we can get him to an academic medical center that does have an OBGYN residency that, that has a, has a faculty on staff who has at least had passing familiarity with the transition process and can address your issues as you need them addressed. Yeah. Yeah. My biggest thing is that like the way, so before, when I started this training, it was like, if you're female to male, and then so I drew up protocols for female to male, male to female, and then non-binary. 
But now it's more where they assigned a male at birth or where they assigned a female at birth. And this will take care of transgender, non-binary, and your cisgender men or women. And I just realized that like they can have the same organs unless they're intersex. And so like one way to look at it is any problem that a female and a, a cisgender woman can have is the same thing that a transgender male can have or a cisgender male and a transgender female can have the, all the same problems that a cisgender male can have. And if, I don't know if that would be easier to look at it that way, you know? Yeah. I, I think it's just, again, it's, it's the, it's physiologically and anatomically mm-hmm. what's there, what the potential yeah. problems are. Yeah. Um, and I think on the most basic level, that's what you have to understand. If you have, you know, if you yeah. have somebody who's transitioning to male, um, you have to understand that, that that's going to be some OBGYN issues. And, uh, you know, a trans woman uh, is going to have urologic issues that are unique to, to her. Um, well, trans women can still have testicular torsion if they haven't had an orchiectomy yet. Yeah, things like yeah. And, yeah, that's and those, a great example of how the organ inventory is so important because yeah. you would not normally think of that, but you've got to say mm-hmm. if that person is having groin pain, hey, what is still physically present and what is not present in your transition process? And yeah. then there's no disrespect associated with that. I mean, yeah, I, I think people know um, from the patient side, I think uh, I, I know when my partner is being uh, kind of an asshole. I'm just going to be blunt to the listeners here. <laughs> Everybody here knows when your partner's being an asshole, guys. There's no getting around that. And, and you know, if, if you need to, to say something to your partner because they're being an asshole and pull them out, then, then do it. But patients know, I'm sure, when you're being an asshole to them, too, for any number of things. Yeah. Like being transgender is only one of the myriad ways that we as health providers are, are occasionally crappy to our patients. Um, so... You know, I think people know when you're being crappy to them and they know when you're being decent to them and you're a safe person, you know, yeah, Dan, this is another yeah. place we can serve as hell do better. Yeah. Yes. So, so Taylor, do, do this for me as, as a clinician, I got to go to work tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. I may run into somebody who's in transition that I may have to uh, use, I, I may have to address it uh, as part of their care. I mean, obviously you're a trans man. If you're having a heart attack, not really, I'm going to, it's. There's nothing, I, I don't see that being a huge factor. Um, no, but it nice. is, it is. Okay, go ahead, educate me. Yeah, so with, uh, the reason why you want to ask uh, if they're assigned male or female at birth is because of LVH. And LVH strain can mimic a STEMI. And with us being, so this is something that I had to research. I actually got 212 leads of a transgender male who identified or who has been on testosterone for like 10 or 12 years already and he kaiser actually did their 12 lead he went to urgent care mm. and then it said a STEMI, and then actually i'd have to pull him up again and then we did one off of ours which we have a life pack but luckily the two uh both the 12 lead analysis algorithms were both both the university of, of glasgow right so that's how i was able to make my point but that axis of the heart was like 20 degrees difference for wow. the QRS did and not the know P that. wave. Right, right. And so with us, the way we can tell that if LVH is uh, present, then it'd be the sum of the R wave and AVL plus the S wave and V3 is 20 millimeters for women and 28 millimeters for men. And it, so like mainly- So, so even it. on so even on the, the bread and butter call, this matters. It does matter, yeah. So, so take me through yeah, what's a good the point there to, to, to assess these patients as you get them. And even if they don't necessarily present with a cardiac symptomology, that a 12 lead may be indicated just because, and you want to be on the safe side. So Dan, that's yeah. a really good, uh, you know, practice tip. Yeah. And just be, you can just ask like, were you assigned male or female at birth? Like what I want to do is to be able to get Zoll and my pack to already prompt that question when we're going in for a 12 lead and say, were they assigned male or female at birth? Okay. That makes but sense. then how is that going to work? You're getting that. Maybe stuff. we can get the Nemesis data set to change male, female, and unknown into what they actually should be for the Nemesis data set, with, uh, which just pisses me off. So if anybody here is listening to this from the people who work through the Nemesis data set, can we please fix that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I've noticed that. It's uh, it's a little uh, unnerving. So, so yeah. definitely ask the pronouns. Ask what you're assigned at birth because you're going to yeah. – things are going to impact your care. Um, so 
Matt, want to talk about some of the documentation things that we've found when dealing with uh, people in transition in charting and things like that and using um, their given names and, you know, I, I know you talk yeah. about the, in your class. The two, yeah, there's two things that really jump at me for documentation. And the first is that uh, parenthetically, when, you know, if Taylor were, were pre-name change, but likes to be called Taylor, but still is legally Gene, you can end up with a mismatch on the sex box and on the name box that will result in an insurance denial. So if you have somebody who is in the process of being transitioned, but it hasn't gone through a legal name or, or sex change on, the, on their, their identified documents, use what's still there. And the most important one to use is what their insurance thinks they are. Because yeah. if you don't use the one their insurance thinks they are, you're going to get their insurance rejected. And that's bad for people. So that's just, uh, it's, it's un, you know, in the, the, the notes of my progress notes, my, my activity log and my HPI, I'm going to note in there that um, what the patient's transition status is. And I'm going to go to great lengths to outlining my assessment and my organ inventory and the meds. Um, but just that note there that the person is female to male or male to female. And the, while their legal name is Gene, they prefer to go by Taylor, I would note in the chart, one of the things I really like to do there, that's the second practice tip is, if I can parenthetically, I'll note the, the preferred name or preferred pronouns in parentheses if they're not really obvious. And this way, when somebody looks at a bracelet or they look at the chart, they go, oh, you had the name Gene, but you like to go by Taylor, you'll see Taylor in parentheses. And that's a good jump for people to say, pay attention to this. Yeah, or even like when you're doing your narrative, you can say that, this patient is transgender, uses these pronouns, goes by this name. So going forward in the chart, I'm going to refer to them as that. Um, Taylor, what do you think about if you're just not sure or you're, you're just using they, them, are those, are those acceptable? Yeah, no, then just, yeah, no, just ask them where you assign male or female at birth. So in that way, whatever, whatever they're presenting with, you'll be able to treat them efficiently. Uh, I was going to say, I think if you get to the person and you're asking them these questions, asking them the pronouns they prefer are, is super easy to do. Um, yeah. I, I actually want to go and I just want to put a placeholder in here that I want to, before we're done, I don't know how much time we have. I just want to talk about your experience as a practicing paramedic and working with your colleagues um, and, and your transition experiences with that. So I just want to kind of put a pin in that, Dan, for us before we sign off here, because I realize we may be getting close to our time frame. No, that that's absolutely. And that was one of the things that was on, on my list, Matt. Um, yeah. And because you were you were on the job when you started transition. Yeah, yeah you know what's funny about that though is that like when I so I was working with my partner Christina, we had been partners for eight years, right? And so okay. she knew me as Jeannie. And then also when I came out as transgender, that like, hey, I'm really gonna transition, you know, I'm gonna change my name to Taylor. I forgot what that when so we were at the uh Cockmas County Fires, like their training place and I was up in the tower and like they were yelling my name Taylor but then I didn't realize that they were actually talking to me <laughs> so, yeah. that's great yeah okay yeah. <laughs> you know it really didn't click then right yeah. how was so yeah what, was it generally positive was it generally negative was it yeah, you know, were people positive. just were people just like come up to you like what do I do now like, I know you, uh, yeah, it was positive. Yeah. Okay. If they had questions and like, I even told Christina, I'm like, Hey, you know, if they ask you something, if you're kind of comfortable answering it, like you can, you know, so like, it doesn't matter to me. I'll, I'll be open about everything. And I just think that like, in order for us as EMS, you know, like we need other transgender providers to be able to be willing to answer questions. You know what I mean? No, that's, that's, that's an excellent point. And we need clinic, you know, clinicians who have been through this journey yeah. and, and traveled the road you traveled to, to get us where we need to be educationally and, and cognitively on this. Um, yeah. This is something that's out there. It's, it's a part of our world and yeah. you know, we, we can't ignore it or walk away from it because we're going to walk away from a population that needs our help. Is going to be and twenty three percent of the be, people remember aren't seeking healthcare because they're afraid yeah. of what we're going to do to them, and that number is just horrific. So, right? Yeah, yeah. that's that's terrible. I mean, it's almost one in four won't mm -hmm. seek help for a problem that could be life threatening. 
because they're yeah. afraid because they're afraid of how they're going to be treated or judged. And, you know, that's yeah. one of the things we talk about. Like, don't be a garbage person out there on the street. Like, you're, that's a great you're way of take, saying it. You're here to take care of people. You know, they mm -hmm. want they want you to call them what you call them. Like people call me Danny or they call me Dan. Um, yeah. You know, it's that's what I like to be called. Like, what is this so hard about? Like, what is so hard about? Yeah, this? honestly, there's so many things in the world. If if you can have, um, um, you know, uh, God, I forget her name, but Lady Gaga. It wasn't born Lady Gaga, but people call her Lady Gaga. You can call whatever patient you've got in the back of your ambulance with the name that they want to be called by. Share is share. Madonna's mm -hmm. Madonna. You know, Sting is Sting. He was born Gordon Sumner, but people call him Sting. You can call this person in the back of your ambulance who's seeking health care. You can call them by the name they want. It's not that hard, guys. Right. And so, if you're, and I, if you're I do want to hit one. Uh, and if your personal beliefs out there, if you're some of these people that are rolling their eyes, the salty ones who are like, well, I don't have time for this. then you don't have time to be on the job. I mean, for the for the love right, of God, yeah. people get with the program. Yeah. And yeah there's another yeah, thing, I'll, too, I'll, like when we're going to intubating yeah, a patient one of the surgeries that they can have is the tracheal shave. And one of the complications from that is the anterior commissure detachment, which is the area of the glottis that inserts, inserts into the thyroid cartilage can become detached and causes uh, scar tissue. So it can make it difficult to intubate. So you'll need to get, have at least two or three backups. So I, I'm a total airway nerd and I've mm -hmm. never heard of that before in my life. And yeah. I now am like, oh, wow, that could be a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And another thing, too, is that trans women, they can have the angle of the jaw recontoured. And so we know that that's the, um, the measurement site for the OPAs and the MPAs. Mm -hmm. So how much bigger are we going to have to go when we're measuring that? That's what I want to do a study on. Okay. And, that's and a that's, great one. And that's an important clinical pearl that we need to understand for airway that you might need a size above yeah. or a size below based on how your yeah. how your patient's presenting um for the the, you know, the tracheal shave for things like that you may have to go to a video laryngoscopy you may have to mm -hmm. go to a supraglottic airway um yeah. you may not see what you think you're gonna see and you have to be able to go with your plan b yeah yeah yeah, Dan, back to your point, though, um, about people and bringing their beliefs to the workplace. I, I want to really stress here um, that the law in this is in flux, and it's one of those things that changes fairly regularly. Um, different administrations have different takes on this. Every state is a little different. You know, we're all New Jersey and Oregon, which means we're blue states and we're pretty liberal, and our anti-discrimination laws cover transgender people in general, not just patients, mm -hmm. but people um, yeah. pretty, pretty broadly, but there are some states that don't have those protections. Um, and it is kind of an open question as to what the federal government protects and doesn't protect for transgender. There was a, a Supreme Court case um, a year ago that was uh, pretty favorable and favorably decided in the employment law world um, that, that favors treating transgender patients and, um, as, as gender uh, bias because it's gender. So it kind of is endemic that it's gender bias, but of course that wasn't everyone's belief on that. Um, but, but I think the point for me is, and, and this is just, you know, it's your partner, it's somebody in their workplace and they, they're transitioning. It's none of your goddamn business. It yeah. doesn't matter if they want to share that with you. That's great. And if they want to go to you and open themselves, Taylor, you're as open as a person as I've ever yeah. met in this space with, with your, your journey and what you've gone through and your experiences. And I, 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 I'm in awe of you for your openness for this, but not everybody is. And here's the thing, people mm -hmm. think about this. There's pretty much no place on earth where your status as being male or female as sex or your gender identity, gender expression matter for your work performance. The thing you do when you go out on the job pretty much almost never matters for, you know, you, you have a male partner or a female partner, they do the job, it doesn't matter. So I, I think just people need to get past this a little bit and say that you can have your beliefs, you can have your values and people do, you just can't bring them into the workplace and you sure as hell can't treat people differently in the workplace because of that. So you're doing your own time is your own time and I'm not gonna tell you to be different there. I can't change your value system. You just tell you that they're not gonna work in the back of my ambulance. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a great place to uh, bring this to, to a point because, um, you know, I think that's an important thing to be out there, uh, especially in our world where we're, we're a little rougher around the edges in EMS than, uh, you know, a little, 
a little. Oh, yeah, a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Taylor, where where are you teaching this, and where what organizations do you want to talk about? And if people want more information, where can they go to uh, to listen to more to what the, what you have to say and learn more about uh, the trans community? Yeah, so I have a website. It's nine one one transedu.com. Okay, and it also I have a blog there. Um, it has a list of all medications, all surgeries that a transgender patient can have. Um, my next stuff that's getting lined up is that like just getting out out nationally. And uh, President like Biden knows about my training. Wow. So yeah, that's definitely going to, and you're going to see that like once we start talking about it nationally, you're also going to see it on TV too. That's terrific. Once we yeah. once we get out of pandemic status and we can actually go to a conference again. Yes, yes, yeah. I yeah, so yeah. I'm so grateful that, that Taylor and I got to connect at the conference at the AAA a couple of years ago and 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 speak on this yeah. stuff and and you know develop this relationship that we can you know work together on these things from from different coasts and different perspectives, but to the same goal. Yeah, yeah. And like you're big into like just culture, you know, and so it's like we like what is it when does something become too much? Yeah. yeah. What, guess, at, what, at what point does somebody's honest mistake turned into them just being a jerk? A dick. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the line of that. Yeah. It, it's an interesting from a human resources perspective. And I'm a huge proponent of just culture. I teach just culture through our leadership class uh, fairly regularly. It's probably the biggest thing I teach out from the firm. That's a big okay. deal to me, but there's a certain point where and it, it may not be malicious conduct. It just might be repetitive error over and over and over. And you just maybe not learning and not everybody's cut out to be a rocket scientist and not everybody's cut out to be a paramedic. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're malicious. Uh, if you're not learning this stuff, not learning how to treat your transgender patients is no different than not learning how to intubate or read a 12 lead or take a blood pressure or drive the ambulance. They're all essential skills in this world and just lump it in as a skill and treat people that way. Yeah. And so I also have a video that I have for um, companies uh, that's basically where I switch it up from assigned male to birth and assigned female at birth. And then I also have a 21 page uh, reference guide. Yeah, Dan, and we obviously run our learning management system. We run this program as a live program and we sell this program as an LMS that you can load into a, um, our awareness level program. Taylor's stuff is much more in-depth and much more clinical, um, but we can run your, through any SCORM compliant LMS, we have a program that's a basic awareness that providers can take. That's really designed for every healthcare provider. It's not just for paramedics mm -hmm. and EMTs, nurses, ED techs, physicians, respiratory, it does not matter. It's designed to be agnostic to, to your licensure. Facebook page two, um okay. is taylor's transgender patient awareness llc and there's also a video of the training on the facebook page too that's awesome matt where can everybody reach out to you uh, you can get me on the law firm um in my uh, law firm is kevneystreger.com it's our, our law firm name k-e-a-v-n-e-y-s-t-r-e-g-e-r.com um we actually do the uh, the lms program through our uh, through our consulting arm uh, for tax purposes um, it's uh, emsaegis.com, so it's emsaegis, like a shield, uh, .com. But if you find me on keepmestrigger.com, you can find me on either one of those websites, and I can direct people to the right place. Great. Well, and we're going to link to all that on the show notes as well. So uh, anybody that's interested in getting more training for their agency uh, or having either of these gentlemen come speak, um, I'm sure they either virtually or in person, I'm sure it would be a very, very good thing uh, for your agency to um, and your clinicians to learn about. Uh, I got to say, I've learned a lot in this short period of time. Uh, I've got a lot of reading to do. Um <laughs> But uh, Taylor, uh, I want to thank you uh, personally yeah, thank for, you. you know, coming on and, and sharing this. It's not easy, folks. It's not easy to come on and talk about personal things. And especially when there is stigma attached to it and stigma attached to it from people who don't understand. So we want to we want to break that down. Um, Taylor, I can't thank you enough for coming on. 
Um, Matt, I want to congratulate you for your first episode on the overrun. Uh, you're now behind your partner. I did by, it. Yay. You're now, you're now behind your partner by it. two episodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you love her more than you love me. So that's okay. But, now we um, love, listen, we love having yeah, both of you on yeah, and, um, please. yeah. So, uh, Taylor, um, I, I, I want to thank Taylor for coming on here. You know, we met about a year and a half ago, uh, just before, maybe it's a year ago, it's just last year, a little over a year ago, we year, met yeah. just before COVID hit. Um, at the AAA, it feels like a lifetime ago because of COVID, but it was it was more recent than that. Um, but it's such a pleasure to do this with you and to work with you on this. Uh, I hope we have opportunities in the future to to do this. But you know, uh, the Overrun has, has been a friend of the firm, and we've you know known each other for a long, long time. And I'm so glad that we got to bring you into this uh, to, yeah, to do too. good, to do better. <laughs> do better. You owe him a coffee mug, dude. Uh, we're wor- we're working on it. We'll work on it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, you know, tell us what you think. Um, bring us any questions to the website or to the show page. Uh, reach out to us. Uh, we did drop our merchandise page um, in the last week or so because um, they were put they were putting yeah. things up we didn't agree with. Um, we will have new merch. I think up. you made a wise choice, by the way. Oh, uh, I think it was the only fair yeah. choice to make. So, um, but thank you. Um, so we'll, we'll have that back up and, uh, we're going to have more guests coming on and, uh, we've got some new blogs coming up that are going to be interesting. So, uh, check us out over on EMS on Twitter. Uh, also check out glam podcast one on Twitter, um, Instagram, we're, uh, overrun productions and our Facebook page, which it's there. We still have to have a Facebook page, uh, unnecessary evil, but, uh, a lot of information we put up there and, uh, we're still doing live stuff and, uh, our YouTube ta- channel is going to be spooling up too in the near future. So just follow us and, uh, we'll, we'll have more guests. And- Wait, Dan, didn't you get deplatformed off of Twitter? Just kidding. <laughs> oh. too soon too soon see now everybody here knows when we recorded this because i just gave you like the time stamp yeah. for how long ago this happened well so. i i could say that the overrun current events i could say that overrun ems has more followers than the current president of the united states there you go <laughs> and tell them like really any question, current events any question that they have like don't be afraid to ask it then no matter how silly they think it is or whatever just ask it and it's okay it's okay to ask questions yeah that that's a good way to leave it taylor i mean any question that's asked in an honest pursuit of really trying to understand is a good thing people so mm-hmm. if you if you have a patient and you need to ask a question just ask the question they'll they'll yeah. respect it they'll mm-hmm. they'll answer it for you so and you'll learn something so for the overrun i'm dan schwester thanks for listening and uh, i'll steal from kevin and say get home safe <laughs>